Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, we're in a series entitled Conversion. Jesus changes everything for the one who believes to live in him. And in this series, we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount through the Gospel of Matthew, and, and we're seeing how it is that Jesus has become the fulfillment of the law of God in the Old Testament. And we've titled this series Conversion because we're looking and we're listening to the Lord to remember his righteousness that he has put on us in salvation and convert our lives by faith to walk in obedience with him. And today's topic is no exception. I implore you today to listen to all that will be said because if you will dare to do so, you could walk out of here radically different than you walked in. And that's my hope and my prayer and God's desire and will for you today, for each one of us. Let's go to the passage of Scripture. Let me read verses 38 through 42 briefly, and then we'll return to the message. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Jesus continues his teaching of what it means to follow him and to live as a citizen of God's kingdom in this world. And today we're looking at this simple understanding that retaliation is not in the character DNA of a Christ follower. Jesus cites the law from Exodus chapter 21 and verse 24 when it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This law was known as the lex talionis, and it was as common in every culture in the ancient world as it was in the Hebrew or the Israelite culture. It's as common today as it was then. Why? Because this law makes sense in the natural world. It makes sense to us. Newton's third law of motion, which I looked it up, don't worry, <clears throat> says this, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. I mean, that's just normal to us. We, we understand that because we've seen it played out in the natural world. It's a fundamental principle that's foundational to understanding of natural science. And sometimes the reaction can be even more catastrophic than the original action. Think earthquake tsunami, which is an application or an illustration, rather, of this very law. I can remember when I was young and I would go to my annual checkup at the doctor's office and part of the routine that we would go through just before that brutal act of pricking my fourth finger to take blood that I still will live all of my days opposing, but that's another story. He would take a hammer 
and walk at me. And sitting there on the uh, exam table, he would strike my knee and watch my foot fly up and go, that leg's good. And then the other one, that leg's good. And man, I would sit there and go, wow, that's so cool. I didn't even have to do anything. He strikes me with a hammer and my foot flies up. But, but, but as neat as that one the doctor was in the doctor's office, when I would go home and take my hammer and try to do the same thing with my brother, like I would be totally in trouble. I, the world can be such a confusing place at times. And the confusion and the chaos for which this law was written it's the same today because it is, according to the very nature of humanity, as it was in the day that it was written. It makes as much sense, but there is a greater problem that made this law necessary. You see, we love justice in theory. But we seldom want justice when it becomes personal. What we want is vengeance. And we want to seek it through retaliation. Our measure of righteousness, though, is sin skewed in our pursuit of justice. And that is the danger that this law was written to confront. The purpose of this law was to create order and to deter crime. It was to be imposed by a civil authority and court to protect the public, uh, the public, excuse me, to punish the offender and to deter crime overall. It was not to be administered individually. In fact, the civil statute was in encouraged and written to discourage that very thing, private revenge, because the person offended was too liable to be biased in retaliation. We get that, right? When somebody does something to me, I'm not interested in getting even. I want to get ahead. I don't want to absolve what they did and match it. I want to one-up it. And that's why this law was written. That's the natural inclination of the human heart. You see, the law was not stating and mandating what must occur, but rather it was written to limit what could occur. The times had become so dark and chaotic that people were taking the law into their own hands. And as is natural to every person, when offended or wrong, we don't want to get even. We want to get ahead. People took the law into their own hands and retaliated to do a greater wrong in the name of justice. But they did it not in the spirit of justice, but the spirit of personal retaliation and vengeance. You see, when someone seeks to harm, when someone seeks to demand or to steal from us, it's just natural for us to react. Even natural, you might say, to overreact. The law recognizes this because what we try to do is not equalize the injustice done, but rather absolve the pain and the hurt felt from the justice in, injustice incurred. But Jesus teaches us, friends, that there is a better way for us to respond. He confronts this natural rule of man in order to form a supernatural new for those who would trust in him. You see, conversion to Jesus means that we trust his perfect righteousness, not only as payment for our sins against God. Now, this is key. This is key. 
but for all sins and all wrongs and especially those done against us. If the cross of Christ is sufficient for our salvation to atone for the sins of our life against a holy God, the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient to atone for the sins and the wrongs committed by others against us. That's the foundational truth from which we operate today. How quickly we can receive God's forgiveness at the cross for our own sins, yet how adamantly reject the sufficiency of the cross for others' sins against us. You see, the Christian confession begins in this way, that our righteousness is insufficient. We need a Savior. We need a better righteousness than our own. And that better righteousness is Jesus' righteousness. And Jesus' righteousness is never more practically necessary than in our own personal life and personal dealings toward others who have wronged us. Friends, let me just be very straightforward with us. Retaliation is wrong according to Jesus. No matter how small and inconsequential it may seem, it is anti-Christian because it subverts the eternal justice of God with our own personal measure of righteousness. Those are not easy words to swallow. What I want you to see today is this, that Christians entrust all of life to Jesus, to love others and to live generously for his glory and to share the gospel. Entrusting all of life to Jesus and to his righteousness that we might live to love others and to live generously for his glory and to share the gospel. You see, what Jesus is doing is he is addressing the deeper and the weightier matters of what you might call as the very essence of the law itself. Following Jesus always begins in our heart. It's not undoing the law. It's not opposing it or dismissing it. Rather, it's getting to the very essence of the reason that he gave it. And Jesus teaches about the matters of the heart, where it is that Christians draw our strength as our source of life. And retaliation says this, that I must trust self because God is either untrustworthy, insufficient, or unable, or maybe as is most common for us, unnecessary in the matters that I am able to address. And any one of, yea, all of these are wrong. Jesus teaches complete trust and a confident surrender to him. And that's what we're aiming at today. He provides four examples as applications of this principle that he is setting forth from the law. Verse 39, he says, if one slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek. Verse 40, he says, if one sues you for your cloak, give him your tunic too. The, the interesting thing here is that not even the law ever allowed for someone to lose their tunic. No matter what they had committed and no matter what recompense they were sentenced to pay in response, in restitution for their wrong, they could not have their outer tunic taken 
Because it was considered in this day and time a fundamental basic right of clothing for the individual. And yet Jesus says what? Give it to him. Give it to him. Verse 41. If you are forced in some measure of labor, meet it with a willingness not only to give more, but even double what is required. If they ask you to go one, go two miles with them. And if one begs from you or borrows from you, give to them freely in order not only to meet their demand and their need, but to exceed it in such a way that something more can be offered in what you give in response to their request. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's providing a principle to guide our response of love and generosity that reflects the gospel, the love of God that is filling us through Jesus Christ more than self-ruling us in the natural order of the world. And these responses, listen to this, friends, these responses are not intended as a retaliation replacement. Listen, Jesus isn't purporting passivism. He's not just saying, lay it down. He's talking about personal interactions here. He's not talking about voluntary impoverishment that just completely exhumes all wealth uh, 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 and, and financial means of an individual's life. If that's the case, we're all wrong and we only have one thing to do walking away from here today. He's not talking about the letter of the law. He's talking about the spirit of the law that is a greater good than retaliation. And the reason that these responses are not intended as retaliation replacements because they somehow would immediately equalize the situation, in fact, quite the opposite takes place. They do not immediately equalize the situation. They go above and beyond what was requested, demanded, or done. And that creates kind of this holy awkwardness in what takes place in response. They defy the natural order in order to bring a window of supernatural opportunity for God to break through, not only in the life of those who are perpetrating it, but for the life of those who are the object of it. We'll talk about needing to trust God. When God says to us, Will you allow me to use your life for my glory and believe and trust that it is your good as well? You see, first of all, our reaction in this would be so counter, it would create that holy awkwardness, that moment that pauses and even the perpetrator to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not the way things work, that's not the natural order, that's right. But the eternal judge, the one whose life we serve with our life, he sees, he knows, he hears, he cares. I believe that. I'm okay. He's got me. He's got this. Secondly, it embodies a confident hope in Jesus beyond self that just simply counter to human nature. When everything in this world says, this is what you ought to do, and Jesus says, this is how you can do, you need to know this that you'll only be able to do that by the power of God working in you. But when you trust to let him work in you, he will work through you. And he'll do more, not only for you, but for all than you could have imagined. And thirdly, when we offer oneself to serve the offender, to point to Christ as a faithful witness, we not only take that opportunity 
to absolve it, but we take that opportunity to turn it into glory to God through our life. You see, what Jesus is doing is teaching us a principle, not another command. He's teaching us the spirit, the essence of the law, and how it is for God's glory and how it is for our good. And what principles do is they guide our thinking and our living in order to bring honor and glory to Jesus. But if and when we exert the principle devoid of relationship with him, all that we strive to do is to entertain religion in order to strengthen self-righteousness that is absent of faith in him and his sovereign rule of all things. That's the very thing that he told the Pharisees they were most guilty of. That you adhered to the letter of the law, but you ignored the weightier matters of the love of God in the midst of them. And what Jesus is teaching us to do is to fulfill the law, not by focusing on it in our ability, but by living by love and letting God fulfill it through us in the way that we surrender to him. You see, the point is not just the situations that Jesus identifies, but whatever situation you find yourself in, this principle holds true. For the way we live demonstrates who it is that we trust and who it is that we want to honor with our lives. And the gospel declares that Jesus is worthy of all of our hope and trust at all times and in all situations. And our lives are purposed to declare our hope in him. What I want to do for you this morning is I want to offer three simple principles in order to set your heart on Jesus and to love and to live generously for his glory. So that no matter where you find yourself, no matter what harm or wrong has been inflicted against you, you can live in such a way that brings honor to Jesus, brings good to you. And hear me, whether you want to or not, and I'm hoping I'm addressing that attitude a little bit, even brings good to the evil done against you. Principle number one, as a Christ follower, the gospel of Jesus Christ determines the identity of my life. The gospel of Jesus Christ determines the identity of my life. Friends, Jesus makes us new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Our new identity makes every Christ follower his servant. Even when, hear me, even when personal safety, personal security, personal provision, personal prosperity, and reputation are threatened. All of the Christian life is lived completely under Jesus' lordship. And listen, under his lordship, what sin made you, what sin did to you, or what sin has influenced in you is not you. You are free from that, Christian. Free. Because in Christ Jesus, what he has accomplished on the cross, though it is still carrying itself out in the immediate reality, in the ultimate reality, you can live by the truth of what God has said is true of you. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. You are free. You must not subject yourself any longer to the sin that so easily entangles. But friends, here's the warning. As long as my life is mine, I must defend it at all costs in all situations. 
As long as I am mine, I must defend it at all costs in all situations. Not only that, I can justify it for pretty much any reason in any situation. But when my life is no longer mine, I'm released. I'm set free. My life is in his hands. It is now his responsibility, not mine. Therefore, I am released to serve him with my all. And in the midst of this, the need for that natural response mechanism to retaliate is gone. This is not an easy lesson to learn. But it is critical for us to continually learn it. And I'm convinced it's the lesson, one of the lessons, I'll have to continually learn the rest of my life. When the heart is set on Jesus, love becomes the theme of our whole life. Let me provide just a verse and a refrain of an old hymn of the ages that reminds us of this theme. Of the themes that men have known, One supremely stands alone. Through the ages it has shown his wonderful, wonderful love. Love is the theme. Love is supreme. Sweeter it grows, glory bestows. Bright as the sun, ever it glows. Love is the theme, eternal theme. Friends, the love of God is not true for a part of your life. The love of God is your life. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here. For even the law teaches that love is the theme of our life. That's why Leviticus 19.18 says, To love our neighbor as ourself. It's the essence of what Jesus is teaching in the law. Our new identity means that we serve Jesus with our whole life, Christian. Our whole life. And as such, we convert our thinking. Romans 12, 2, renewed in mind to convert our thinking, not in the order of the natural, but transformed by the supernatural to apply our new identity for our now living. As a Christ follower, the gospel determines your identity in Christ. The second principle I set forth for us today is this, that as a Christ follower, the lordship of Jesus Christ determines the direction of my life. The direction of my life. Conversion means learning to apply the gospel, to live faithfully under Jesus' lordship in all situations at all times. And it begins by this understanding of his truth and living out that truth in the renewal of our mind. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so salvation in Jesus means that we think differently about our whole life. And the reason this is so important is because it's our own life. It's the personal matters of life where we are most tempted, where we have the greatest propensity to default to the natural order. Why? Because the world understands that. But we're not aiming for the understanding of the world. We are living for the transformation of God in us. And that's what this is all about. Let me give you some wisdom from God that is a clear guide for our thinking to obey Jesus. Two Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22 says this. Do not say, I will repay evil. 
Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Hear me, Christian. Every repayment of evil from you is greater evil in you. Why? Because your righteousness is not sufficient for any measure or manner of evil. Only Christ is. That's why he is the perfect sacrificial lamb. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 29 says the same and adds to it. He says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Because that is a transaction. In our broken, insufficient righteousness, we cannot pay. We owe a debt we could not pay. But he gladly paid for us. When we are wronged, when we are harmed, when we are sinned against in some way, we do not have to retaliate. That's the point. Could we? Sure we could. As a matter of fact, that's probably your natural propensity is to begin immediately to think of all the options in order to do so. The point of the gospel is this. I don't have to. God sees. God knows. God hears. God cares. He's got this. Jesus has already paid for that wrong. Therefore, we are set free to love. That's the application of the gospel. Waiting on Jesus is the posture of our life that guides us and simultaneously transforms us by trusting his righteousness for our situation at all times. You might say, but what about my character, Pastor? Or what about my reputation? What about when those things are attacked? Well, let me deal with reputation first. Reputation is 99% water and 1% other. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you should desire a bad reputation, but you should know this. Reputation is not determined by you. It's determined by someone else based on you. And you ultimately can't control it whether you like it or not. And the more you do try to control it, you create a, well, what we would call today a social media persona. We all know those are fake. So reputation doesn't matter. To an extent. I mean, obviously we want reputations, but a good reputations. But my point for what I'm making today is this. Character matters. But here's what you need to understand. Attacks on you cannot dent, cannot ding, and can never destroy your character. It cannot. They can only reveal what's already there. In the same way that reputations don't make you, it is also true to understand people don't make you unless you allow them to. Who you are is not determined by what others do to you. This is, this is quintessential to the gospel, friends. Who you are as a Christian is determined by what God has said about you on the cross. And, and, and our aim of life is to live from that truth, not pursuing that truth, but from it. You see, attacks only make your character when you allow them to shape you in their image and you respond based on what they did to you, not what Christ has said about you. That's the only way that attacks of any form, measure, or nature can form you and make your character. 
When Jesus is the Lord of your life, you are free from defending yourself to point them to others and ultimately to point yourself to him as well as your hope. Difficulty from attacks and difficulty from the wrongs committed against you, they will press up on you, but let the weight of them press you more deeply into Christ Jesus, that you might be made more completely by him into his image. Charles Spurgeon says, I bless the wave that crashes me against the rock of ages. The only way an evil act, deed, attitude, or any other measure of commitment or committal against you can cause something negative to come out you is if you deny the work of Christ for you. But if you allow it to press you to Christ, Christ will fulfill what he has already begun in you. And that will be made more completely and perfectly into his image in every way. Therefore, any attacks on your character, though at the moment they will always seem to be tarnishing, will only prove to buff and to shine what's already present and established. Friends, hard times and personal attacks are the best opportunities for Christians to show their Christ-likeness through their character. Hold to Jesus and wait on him in the midst of the storm. You see, what we try to do is bring immediate equality. What Jesus does is he brings eternal justice. And I'm going to tell you, eternal justice is always greater than immediate equality. And let me tell you how to guard your character. Guard it vehemently against your own sinful propensities and desires because it will ruin you every time if you do not. Then when you are attacked or you are demanded of in some way, you can point yourself and others to Jesus through your character. Let Jesus make all things right in his time, in his way, by his means. Yes, tell him of the offense. Tell him of the wrong. Tell him of the pain. But friends, don't walk away from him after you tell him. Trust him. And as you trust him, wait with him and listen to what he is saying and know what he is doing. You, Christian, can know this, that because he is king of the kingdom, because he is Lord of your life, you are here to love others and to serve in the way that he has loved and served you on the cross. You are here to make Jesus known so that others can believe in him and so that you can as well. When you do, Jesus will strengthen you. He will deepen the anchor of his love in you. And he will continue to fashion your character in his righteousness as he uses you to point other people to him. Friends, this is the battle of the heart where the gospel transforms. And by the, I mean this, capital T, capital H, and capital E. If the gospel doesn't matter here, it doesn't matter anywhere. If the gospel doesn't matter in the everyday moments of your life to bring eternal transformation by the cross of Jesus Christ, stop bowing at the cross because it's not going to ever make a difference for you. The cross is not just something we benefit from at the end of our life or at the end of time. It is the defining immediate reality every moment of our day. 
And if you're going to cling to Christ, and cling to the cross and the reality of what he has done, you must release the identity that your sinful nature would want to impose upon you or put in you. And you must embrace the identity that the gospel has said about you in God's love. And you must embrace the direction of your life with King Jesus as the Lord and him ruling and not self ruling in you. And the third principle that we look at is this. As a Christ follower, the kingdom of God determines the purpose of my life. The gospel determines my identity. King Jesus determines my direction. And the kingdom of God determines the purpose of my life. Remembering the purpose of life, even when one is attacking friends, releases us, even from direct immediate evil, releases us from the need to retaliate. Look at verse 39 again. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We get that. We understand that. But I say to you, Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. You see, the point is this, any measure of our attempts to defeat evil only propagate it and perpetrate it more in our lives. Why? Because we are insufficient in every way. He has defeated evil at the cross once and for all. Therefore, our role is by faith to cling to his work at the cross and to understand the entirety of our life as serving the king of kings in the kingdom of God. Even when one commentator says we are abused, Christians must think of ways to advance the kingdom of heaven and its influence on this earth. If this is not true, every martyr of the Christian faith on whose shoulders we stand today has died for nothing. And yet, that is not true, friends. Christians walk in freedom in order to love and to serve others and to live generously as we release our heart's demand to mediate personal justice because we abide in the righteous one. God's got this. I don't have to take hold of it. God's working it out. I don't have to deal with it anymore. I can trust him. Peter reminds us how it is that Jesus kept the kingdom perspective in his own suffering. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Listen to this. This is how Jesus kept a kingdom perspective about his life as he walked on the earth. When he was reviled, Peter writes, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd an overseer of your souls. Friends, that evil against you, though it may have only just been committed, it was paid for 2,000 years ago. You do not have to retaliate because you cannot equal the debt. When we give control to God to trust 
and to rest in his divine providence and his sovereign rule, our actions place our lives and the life of our offender under Jesus' domain to be submitted to his work. When we are wrong, God sees, God hears, God knows, and God cares. This is what we must remember. We know this. We need to trust this. When we go beyond what's required, what is expected, or what is demanded, we benefit most from the extra part, even though it may cost us significantly. So often we think, well, if they demand this of me, or if they committed this against me, why should I go the extra portion? For what they did was wrong to begin with. Why should I even equal it, let alone go beyond it? Do you hear what you just said? What if God said, for the sins committed against me, why should I even match them with an equal forgiveness, let alone a love that lavishes far, far beyond the offense originally committed? You see, friends, when, when we apply these principles and live out the gospel, we demonstrate by our lives what cross or what Christ has secured on the cross for us. Doing what's only required is just simply satisfying the natural order of this world. Going the extra mile, giving the double portion, brings a spiritual blessing to natural living, where God breaks in to do the impossible among the possible, where He works the supernatural in the presence of the natural. When we love to, when we trust God to love and to live generously instead of retaliate, we apply the work of Jesus on the cross not only to our lives, but through our lives to those, even, listen to me, at the extreme, the very evil and the evil one done against us. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Christians entrust all of life to Jesus to love others and to live generously for his glory and to share the gospel. Let me ask you a question today, friends. Have you been wronged? Have you been wronged? Has someone placed a demand on you that is unfair? I mean, in all the natural order of life, everybody would look at that and go, that's unfair. Has that been put on you? Have you been offended in some way, shape, form, or manner? doesn't matter whether it's justifiable in the eyes of the world. What matters is how you feel about it. Because if it's offended you, it's affecting you. Look at what God wants to do. And submit your life to let him work in you by working through you. When I have to deal with an offense or a demand from others, when I find myself under hard circumstances... I had this little practice that, that I've had to learn and develop. I've had a lot of opportunities to, to be quite honest. I know you have too, because we live in an offensive world. We live in a highly demanding world. We live in a world full of wrongs. It doesn't matter how small or how great. This is a practice that covers them all. First, I just go to the Lord. And I begin by acknowledging that he sees, he hears, he knows, and that he cares. And then I list the offenses. Let me tell you why I do that. Because somewhere deep inside of me, I'm afraid God didn't get them all on his list. That's a confession. 
but I list them. I don't just list them for God, though. I may start that way. But what I end up doing is reading through them and understanding I listed them for me. Because in the listing of them, I began to see them. I began to take hold of them and, and understand where they are in my heart, how they're fleshing themselves out in my life. And I offer them to the Lord because I, I want to remind myself of what I'm doing, of what I'm seeing. And quite frankly, I want God to see it too. He's okay with that, friends. He's okay with that. But it reminds me each time and with each offense, God, this is what I'm trusting you for right here. Let me tell you another reason it's good, even to write them down. So if you ever have to return to them, you go, oh, I can't keep holding that out there. I gave that to the Lord. That's his, not mine. When they reoccur, go back to your list. When new ones arise, add them to the list. Continue to take them to the Lord as many times as there are new offenses or as they continue to reappear. And repeat this practice until they are gone. And listen to me, even forgotten. Yes, forgotten. When Jesus heals, when he forgives you of your sin, he separates you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. And what I am telling you, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross, he wants to separate that wrong, that offense, and that harm perpetrated against you by another in the same distance as he separated you from your sin. But you must trust and you must follow him in this.